Welcome to On Culture. On this podcast, we talk about culture and faith and the world and our place in it. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our work and explore all of our content on our website, theembassy.substack.com. Here's Mike. Welcome back to another edition of On Culture. My name is Mike Sherman, and uh, On Culture is the podcast of the Embassy Substack uh, newsletter, theembassy.substack.com. And I am joined uh, this day by Chad Myers, a frequent flyer on On Culture. How you doing, Chad? Hey, doing great. I am racking up those flyer miles. Yes, yes. How can you I spend d- them? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. But you just get back from vacation, right? Yes, we were up in um, beautiful northern Michigan, as you know, Mike, being up from there. And mm-hmm. um, beautiful 70-degree weather, water and beaches, craft beer, ice cream, and pizza. It was, um, yeah, yep, it's we'll have pretty, it on Earth. <laughs> it's pretty good in the summer. You know, that shore of Lake <laughs> yeah. Michigan area in the summer. Even if you get a little north, it's like, you know, kind of cool at night and it doesn't get too hot, mm-hmm. but it's sunny and you can go out on the water, beaches. It's pretty nice. It really is a yeah. pretty nice place. It's yeah. hard to beat. It's hard to beat. It was worth the it was worth the fifteen hour road trip for us. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's a long ways to drive. But um <laughs> But we are gonna talk uh today about the uh the piece that's uh, out now on the embassy, uh called for they will be called the children of God. And that comes from, of course, the Beatitude, Blessed are the Peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God by Jesus. And um, I've, I, it was spurred. I mean, I, it's, it's a second in a series of maybe three, maybe four. I don't know when I'll be done with the series. I'm just kind of writing about the church. And, uh, but I was, as I was thinking about that, I read this article uh, in Comet Magazine about uh, a woman who went to Northern Ireland on a family trip, uh, Krista Ballard Tooley, who's now, I think, a sociologist or professor. Uh, and she went there. It's, it's an interesting uh, vacation choice to go to Belfast in 1994 because, you know, there was still there was still stuff going on there. It's not like it's an active war zone per se, but things happened, you know, with regularity uh, violent things, uh, because it was still in the period known as the troubles between, uh, the, you know, Protestants and Catholics is a little too simplistic, but that's basically the, uh, those who, the, the, uh, the, the Irish Republicans who wanted to kick the, the Protestants out and, uh, and, uh, and those who, you know, were the unionists, the Ulster, uh, unionists who were, um, fighting to stay and and once the fighting starts it it's almost doesn't matter why the fighting starts right uh, as it goes mm. um and uh you know a couple things that i mean it, it's it's an uh interesting sort of parallel you're not old enough to remember uh that as a i mean you were probably a child right oh 94 yeah i was in um was an eighth grader yeah, so I mean, it got you know basically they had a peace agreement in '98. So, um, but it was interesting. It was interesting being there. I was there for an air show, not in Ireland, but in England. But you know, I, I tell a story of I had something to eat and I had some, I had trash in my hand and there was no uh, trash cans anywhere to be found. And you know, I learned later that 
they didn't have public trash cans in a lot of places because that's where uh, they put bombs, you know, from one side or the other, put bombs uh, in them. And so, which is just sort of a weird thing to live with, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. Well, I read that in yeah. the piece and I was so surprised that was the, uh, the reason because I was like, okay, were they trying to, you know, do some type of, you know, keep the streets clean. And so you couldn't, and then it was like, because that's where they put bombs. It's like, oh, okay. That's why they did away with public trash cans. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. And there's this, there's, you know, she talks about the role the church played on the one hand in keeping the conflict going uh, by making, you know, the Protestants for God and for Ulster, making the Catholics the enemy, the Catholics making, and then at the same time, other people in the church were working for peace. Um, and it's sort of distant history now, at least in terms of our lifetime. But I can remember being, you know, a young man and, and there was no resolution in sight. One just thought this is how it's going to be. It's like, you know, the Middle East, you know, like, you know, there's never going to be peace in, in Northern Ireland. Uh, and then there was. Um, and so, you know, but I do think there's a tendency among us to justify, you know, if we're going to draw a parallel to the culture war, which, you know, I'm kind of doing in the piece that, uh, it feels intractable. It feels self-justifying. It feels righteous, uh, to rail against our cultural enemies, uh, and then for them to rail back. And if that's, if those feelings are what we want out of it, there's no, there's no motivation to, you know, resolve it. I mean, is that your observation in terms of how people feel about the culture war and the sense that it's never ending? Well, I think it's pretty profound what you said just a minute ago, and you, you might've been quoting an idiom or something, but um, once the fighting starts, it doesn't really matter why anymore. Right. It's like and the Hatfield and McCoys. Of, what started it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think sometimes that's probably indicative of the of the culture war. Um, left, right, and us them. And do we know why we're fighting anymore? Do we know why we started in the first place? Do mm -hmm. we know maybe a different question is this what what do we hope to achieve? Right. You know, right. you've, you've, you've done some conflict mediation and, um, I've been a part of those with you. And one of the questions you kind of ask yourself going into this conf conflict mediation is what do you want? What yeah. do you want as an outcome? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great question to start with, to sort of say out loud, if you could have anything, what would you, what would you have, you know, what you're coming out of this and we're going to try to resolve this conflict. What would be your best resolution? And, you know, if, if we're honest, there are times when what we want isn't very good. You know, we want to punish mm -hmm. the other side. We want to humiliate, you know, we want to hit him over the head with a tire iron, whatever. Um, but it's good to say that if that's in fact what you really want, because, okay, now we're really talking about, the situation, but I know I've been in conversations with Christians and some Christian leaders is like, we just have to, you know, we have to fight against this culture. And my reply is always, what does that even mean? And, you know, mm -hmm. how do you win? What does winning look like? And then how does that square 
not only with the call to be peacemakers, but how does that square with what our mission is as a church, you know, as believers would be to have this ministry of reconciliation to bring people to God and to, you know, embody and communicate the gospel. You know, it's like we, I think we kind of have to choose whether we're going to do that or whether we're going to defeat our cultural enemies. Cause I don't think the second well, what, what one. What do you is, think are the, go ahead. I, just, I don't think the second one, you're never going to have an opportunity to, I mean, to try to actually minister to people that you're trying to defeat. Go ahead with your question. When, when people say, when people say, you know, we got to fight the culture war, or we got to fight this or we got to do it. What, what do you, do you often hear any type of, you know, basis, scriptural basis for, uh, because you just gave me a scriptural basis for, Hey, we got to be ambassadors. Um, we got to seek reconciliation. Like that seems to be abundantly clear in the scope of the scripture, but we got to, we got to fight the culture war or we got to, you know, what, what do you, th do you ever hear any scriptural basis for that? Well, I mean, if, if I was going to maybe answer that question the most generously, it's, it's, or there's often a sense of the world needs to know what we believe. The world needs to mm -hmm. know what the church thinks is right and wrong. And if we explain to them that they're wrong, they'll be persuaded. Um, which I don't believe is true, first of all. Uh, you know, many of these culture, cultural issues are not, are not uh, positions that people take after a careful, you know, analysis and reasoning. They're positions they've come no, to because of identity, right? More instinctual. And so, you know, the, one, of the, one saying is you, it's hard to reason somebody out of something that they weren't reasoned into. And if it's a matter of identity or a matter of us, them, or whatever, changing their mind, A, is they're not going to be open to your message, and B, it, it wouldn't even do what you're asking for. But I do think that's a justification. I've heard more than once that, you know, we just need to, they just need to know where, again, that's not, uh, you know, that the, that that we explain the truth to them is only in the context of this ministry of reconciliation of us being ambassadors of us bringing them to God in Christ of us embodying, you know, what you see instead in scripture is, you know, let your speech be seasoned with salt. And so that, you know, you'd be gracious with every replies. And I think that's, it's a very, uh, it's a very careful definition of what the Christian mission, uh, you know, what we want it to be. Just like I think the churches, you know, peace means this. Basically, peace means we we get to name the terms of the truce. You know, peace means victory, basically, yeah. right? right? That famous, right. you know, born ultimatum. That uh, was famous. I think it's famous anyway. You know, when does this all end? It ends when we've won. And that's, you know, that's kind of what we think, right? It ends when we've won. Yeah. When we've crushed them, uh, which is it's such a temporary solution, really, because you know, hey, we're going to drop bombs on the terrorist. Okay, well, for how long? Which ones? And then what about the other ones? And mm -hmm. then what are you going to do ten years from now? Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to solve this by, you know, we're going to win. Um, well, that you, you're never going to be done then. 
Right. I mean, at some point, and you know, it's what I say in the piece, particularly with a culture war, because you know, you're dropping figurative bombs, as it were. Um, you know, it doesn't. There's no winning. It doesn't end when you've won or even when you've lost. Uh, it ends when you stop fighting and stop looking at our interaction with the world from a war standpoint. Uh, and you know, that's the scriptural. I think the scriptural imperative for the church is to not try to fight the culture war, but try to be the church in an environment that's uh, perhaps culturally hostile or increasingly culturally hostile. hostile. Uh, but even there, that's an opportunity for a high level of differentiation or distinction between, you know, a culture that's outraged if we have peace, a culture that's, you know, anxious. You know, we have contentment if, in a culture that's angry, you know, we have grace that we have the opportunity in this culture to display a difference that might be attractive, which is really kind of what we're supposed to be about. And I don't think, you know, being involved in politics is all good and so on, but uh, what we tend to do, and this is not just the church, I think this is a cultural thing that we all fall into, you know, being, taking a position in social media is the same thing as doing a good deed or is the same thing as, fighting against this wrong, which of course it doesn't, doesn't do anything. You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody's paying attention. Nobody's convinced. Nobody's anything. You're doing it to check your own box probably. Uh, and, and then you call it good. Like you've done your duty. Uh, and I just think that's, well, that's not our duty. I don't think like we're, we're here for a completely different reason, but it feels so much better to fight than to not right well and and like you've said i think in the piece in here it feels so much better to fight than to to die to surrender to walk away like those are those are things that you know we talk about all the time in the church and so you can think that because you've heard them all your life that you're doing them but it really is a, um, I think an indication of maturity, if you start to grasp, wow, falling and letting go and dying and surrendering, those really are the, some of the most Christ-like things I can do. And that's all I'm really in control of. That's all I'm really asked to do. Um, I'm not supposed to win great things for God. I'm supposed to be faithful with this, you know, the great things he's asked me to do, which those are pretty difficult. So I just think it takes a lot of um, emotional, spiritual maturity to get to get to a point of, I don't know, walking away. And you mm -hmm. know what? You can have the last word. You can yeah. have all the last words. Right. Um, I don't need to engage in that. Um, I can, I can understand why you're coming and, and, and walk away not in a bitter sense and not in a self-righteous sense, not in a, well, you guys are little children and I'm not. That's um, that's not what I'm saying. But but being empathetic with, okay, I understand why you're passionate about this and why you're, you think this is going to save the world. I get it. Um, and yet, I don't have to engage on that level for my own self-actualization or, you know, need fulfillment or whatever. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the culture war is optional for me every day. 
I do not have to engage in it. That's a good summary. Right. I do. I can, I can walk away. I can let it, let it sit. And, you know, you said it's not winning, it's faithfulness, basically. And I think that's, you know, in our sort of uh, mindset that, you know, we feel like we have to win for the Lord or win for our cause or win for the cause of the church. When, you know, it's, I mean, the Testament never talks about that. I mean, Paul was obviously uh, went through a lot of things and was imprisoned a lot uh, unjustly. And, um, and there's no sense in from the outside where it looks like he won, but each defeat, you know, he's in this, he's in Rome for two years, uh, before meeting with Caesar and he's, you know, basically, you know, you know, helping the church in Rome to form and strengthen, uh, each defeat on the one hand was, uh, you know, was a victory for the mission of God or victory for faithfulness and God was doing stuff in that, that almost required him to be in that situation that he, you know, wouldn't necessarily have chosen to be in. And I think that's, you know, a dependent faithful posture is a, there's something about that that's obviously biblical on the one hand, but it's also sort of vulnerable, sort of scary, you know, sort of like, I feel like I, I should be getting a better deal than this. And I think that's a us problem and not, that's not, there's nowhere, there's nowhere in the New Testament where it's like, you know what, this is going to be a pretty big, pretty good deal for you while you're on earth. I mean, Jesus gets killed, all the apostles ultimately, you know, are executed, the church is persecuted, yet somehow we think, man, we need to be sitting on the top of the pile. And if not, some great injustice has taken place, right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think you see that with um, people grappling with um, the church losing a lot of its influence in the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, but also on a personal level, even in America, like, you know, we still have to be on top. We still have to be in power. And um, yeah, I think... um, it's a reminder that we can't so easily and quickly and lightly move past the crucifixion Mm -hmm. that Jesus showed us the way to overcome violence is not with violence. And the way Mm -hmm. to overcome insult is not with a better insult, even though every middle schooler will tell you differently. Right. The way that you overcome quote unquote, the world is by picking up your cross. And Gosh, I don't know. What does that take? Loads of trust. Yeah. Like, do you really trust that this is the right, this is the way Yeah. that, um, you know, you die to ego and yeah. you don't have to trade blow for blow. I, I don't know. It seems it's, it's a, it's an introductory Christian teaching, but it's, uh, impossible to do without grace. Yeah. It's profound. I mean, it is this, it's a position of faith in that, I doesn't seem like this is the way to the best deal for me, but this is the way I'm commanded. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to trust. I'm going to be faithful. Uh, and in the end, God brings whatever God brings. And it, you know, it turns out, we, you know, over and over again, God brings fruit and uh, blessings that would come no other way, even though there's a lot of, you know, hardship and suffering that might come with it. Um and so, yeah, I think it's, you know, one of the passages I, I thought of, and I didn't put it in the piece because it, it 
it would have made it too long and yeah, but it's a passage I use when when we te- when I teach on culture and you know is that when I was at your church uh you know earlier this year you know in Acts 19 you see uh a church in Ephesus it's you know it's in a it's the the city of of Artemis the temple of Artemis um and you know there's you know obviously there's uh, idols of Artemis and these magic scrolls and all this sort of stuff and you know, in a sense, it was easier for them in a, in a, because it was harder in a way. It was easier because there was, they had no way to, you know, affect change. You know, they weren't going to change the law. They weren't going to get, you know, sale of these idols banned or, you know, there's no, you know, in the Roman Empire, that just wasn't even a, an option. Um, and yet, you know, there, there's, there, there's a, a riot that, that basically a near riot that happens because, basically a lot less of those idols are being sold and a lot less of the, you know, magical scrolls and all of these things that, you know, the people there lived in fear of the gods, of the capricious, you know, sentiment of the gods and you had to keep them happy and worship and sacrifice. And, you know, everyone had to have a silver idol of Artemis and go to the temple and da 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 And Christians began to say, no, we're not, we're going to turn away from all of that. And we're going to risk the, you know, the, the wrath of Artemis because we don't think Artemis is real. And we're going to put our, basically we're going to put our money, money where their mouth is. And we're going to, we're not going to buy these things. We're not going to, we're not going to live that life. And it, they didn't, they make it a serious dent on the economy of idols as we come to learn. And that, and that, chapter not by trying to do anything other than by being transformed and by adding to their number and by being transformed and living differently and adding to their number they had this huge cultural impact in other words they had a huge cultural impact without trying to have a cultural impact they had a huge cultural impact Mm -hmm. just by being faithful as a community and i kind of feel like man if the church was faithful as a community writ large we'd have a huge cultural impact but we're trying to short circuit that whole deal and, you know, win. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And in one sense, it's, um, it's very unsophisticated. Um, yeah. yeah. That we just, we just think I'll just stoop to your level or whatever else, as opposed to, well, I, I, you know, I, sh- I, I, I'm a Christian, so I don't worship idols. So I don't participate in the purchasing of idols. So, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to encourage my other fellow Christians to do the same. And because we're going to be faithful. And as a consequence of that, um, something in the culture shifted. Yeah. Which again was no small thing because, you know, their whole lives, the health of their children and their mind depended on keeping the gods happy and the crops Mm. and the business and survival. You know, just think about how, how random disease seemed people just got sick and died nobody even really knew you know what the heck was going on you know yeah. uh and it could happen anytime and you know antibiotics and some infection could do you in or certainly serious illness there would be not much anything any, anything anybody could do and you know um and you know some crop disease comes or you just how at the mercy of forces beyond your control you were and then to turn away from all of that and say, we're going to trust in Jesus. 
um, is a big deal. And I feel like we suffer in comparison sometimes because we feel like we do control all of these things that we really do not control, right? Do you think that's true? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely suffer in comparison because of um, affluence, because of, um, you know, Christianity still enjoys uh, relatively strong privilege. You know, I, you know, people may lose a job here or there, but it's not widespread persecution and it's not a wide, it, it's not a, um, what am I looking for? Uh, it might be predominantly, well, it's not as pagan, religious pagan as the Roman empire would have mm -hmm. been, you see. Yeah. And, and so our idols <laughs> that we get in bed with are just as insidious. They're just invisible. So power and comfort and approval and greed and all of the things um, that are deeper motives of the heart. Um, I wonder what impact on the culture the church might have if we started to let go of those idols. Right. And, right. That's right. you know, what type of lives could we live and what, what would people see the salt and the light um, in our lives? Right. I think that's right. I mean, that's, that's well said. Instead of trying to change the idols of the culture around us by persuasion or force or victory, you know, if we were faithful and rid ourselves increasingly of the idols that we depend on and lived a, a life that was then therefore relatively attractive. Uh, because that's the thing in as big of as of a shift it is to go from worshiping Artemis and these other gods to not uh, in Ephesus in the first century, lots of people were doing it because they saw something that looked better to them. As risky as that might be, and as crazy as that might sound in that culture, um, you know, they saw something that said, you know what, I'd, I'd rather have that. That that actually yeah. looks. I mean, obviously, the Holy Spirit is, is, is moving in their hearts, but they're seeing some, hey, faithfulness looks like that. Community looks like that. Care for one another looks like that. Well, yeah, I, I want that. And it's attractive by comparison. And that's very hard, you know, for the church to do. That's, you know, that should take all of our energy. Uh, and instead, we distract from the hard part by trying to, I think, win the culture war, whatever that means. And I do think that's sort of like final point. It's kind of a substitute for the hard work of, I mean, it, it seems easier to try to fight the culture war than it is to really be faithful as a community. <laughs> right? You know, easy, easier. It's, it's, it's quick and dirty. It's kind of cheap and it's easy yeah. and it's, it's a form of laziness. Um, you know, in my own self, uh, you know, and my kind of last thought would be, let's just, let's just think about it from the other person's perspective, put myself in their shoes. If there's someone on the other side who claims that they believe in this higher deity who laid down their life and sacrificed their life so that people could be forgiven and that, you know, they have truth and love and compassion. And yet they're coming at me hot and attacking and mm -hmm. full of insult and assaults. What, what, what does that say to me about what they really think and who yeah. they really are? Like what, yeah. how would this be a, an effective conversion method? Right. Why would right. I join your group? 
why would I believe what you believe when you don't even seem to believe it? I mean, if I understand the message, it doesn't even seem like you're an adherent to the message. And uh, I think that's right. I mean, I think we then become an impediment or an excuse um, because us fighting the culture war gives them more excuse to fight the, you know, whether we're the Hatfields or the McCoys in this, in this formulation doesn't even matter that much. The more we fight, the more encourages them to fight. And, and all of this fighting, you know, the mission of the church is limited, you know, in some way or mm-hmm. squelched or overshadowed. Um, so, yeah, let's leave it there. I think that the encouragement is that um, just like, you know, peace suddenly came to Northern Ireland, it wasn't sudden. Obviously, people had worked for it for a long time, but it seemed hopeless and it, it was there that, uh, you know, perhaps, and, you know, once we focus on peace and once we focus on our own mission, it would will begin to change our relationship to culture. And, and then even as individuals and as families, is we can opt out, you know, we can opt out. You don't have to have a take on everything, right? You don't have to have, right, uh, right? that, you know, you don't have to have the retort or the right answer or you can just opt out of that whole thing and get about the business of, of being faithful to what God's calling us so to do. So let's leave it there. Thank you, Chad. Mm, thank you, Mike. Good to see you. It's always a pleasure. And uh, thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening. Do you enjoy On Culture? You can support us and the content produced by subscribing to our newsletter, The Embassy, by visiting theembassy.substack.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.